Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 24 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm a writer, podcast host, and accountability coach. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 diabetes for about eight years now. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 59 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about elimination diets, what they are, why I went on one, what I learned from it, and more. A quick reminder for our audience, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes, please leave us a comment or send an email to colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. I have a quick shout out before we get started. Listener Lynn Domingo sent us an email after episode 55, mentioning that when she was diagnosed in college, she wrote posters for her wall that said, I have diabetes, it doesn't have me. Lynn's email was a great reminder that not everyone is as comfortable as Jesse and I are with calling ourselves diabetics. Words have power, and some people don't want to be called diabetic. They want to be called people with diabetes. Lynn, Jesse, and I have type 1 diabetes. It doesn't control us and it doesn't have us. It doesn't control or have you either. Thanks again to Lynn for the email. And now let's get to the wins and fails. Jesse, what is your win this week? Okay, so my win of the week is probably something I should have started on my own about two or three years ago when I first got into high school. But I didn't up until this last week because how I say this crunch panic cramming time like for, for a test kind of thing. So this week, I decided to start a logbook of supplies I have, what I use, when I use it, what day I put my sensor on, how long it'll last for, when I use a Mio, how much insulin I have, how long it'll last me, all of that stuff. And I just kept writing it down throughout the week. Now, this is important because I am going off to college next year. No matter what happens, I am going. And I don't necessarily know how fast I'm going to go through my supplies or at what extent I should be ordering my supplies at. And this is really important because I am going to be the one in charge because I'm going to Montana. So I have divorced parents and that means we get double insulin, double meos, double reservoirs, sensors, you name it. I have at least two or 300 boxes of unopened strips that I don't know what to do with quite yet. Colleen, you want to say something? I was, you said two or 300 boxes. And then I was like, holy crap of supplies. And then you just went with strips and I'm like, oh, that's more reasonable. Yeah. So I have a lot of extra that I don't use because I'm at either my mom's or my dad's. I'm not at both. So I go through things a lot slower at my dad's house because I'm not here as often. So I don't necessarily know how fast I'm going through something on a full regulated basis. So I started writing it down in my calendar a couple of weeks ago. And then this week, I finally decided to start writing it down in one spot where I could keep track of it and then add everything up by 
every three months, once a week, what type of patches my sensor works best with, which is really interesting because my body apparently hates the adhesive that my sensors, my guardian sensors come with. So I order new stuff off of Amazon. It's like a Griff Grip. It's Griff Grip, but you know, the off-brand kind because it is so much cheaper. So I ordered some of that and that works so much better for me and my skin. And it's lasting me my whole time instead of just up to six days and falling off in the shower. So that's even something that I've noticed. You have a really interesting problem where you have a really huge supply of supplies and you don't know how fast you go through things. Yeah. That is a very interesting problem to have as a type of diabetic. I think it's because I have to order extra for both houses. I have to have an like a backup to my backups because if something goes wrong at one house, I can't just drive to like, or walk down the street or go to my closet for more stuff. I have to get in my truck, drive 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes with traffic, to be honest. And by that point, it might be too late for something. So I think insurance is really helpful when it comes to this kind of thing. They're kind of more accepting of like, oh, divorced parents. Okay, you're on so-and-so's insurance. Let's see if we can make this work for you. I don't think I'm alone in this. I think a lot of kids with divorced parents and who have diabetes might have this problem too. All right, enough of my jibber-jabbers. What's your fail of the week, Colleen? My fail is that I didn't bolus enough ahead of time for my chocolate peanut butter keto chow, which I had earlier this week. And so my blood sugar rose to about 175, which feels terrible to me. And then it stayed there for several hours before coming down to do this little roller coaster between 75 and 120 because I kept treating it with Smarties and then it kept coming back down. I do have a win though. Uh, I had my endocrinology appointment this morning and my A1C is 5%. Five zero. <laughs> oh my God. You guys can't see this because we're FaceTiming this, but I'm so happy. I'm so ecstatic. Like that's amazing. I think my lowest before this was 5.1. Yeah. And that was like three months after we started this podcast and now it's actually at five. Which is amazing. That's incredible. Yep. I don't oh, plan to so... go any lower, but I mean, if I do, that's cool. That's cool too. I mean, who knows? What is our hack this okay. week? So my hack related to the win is start a diabetic journal, but make it your own. Because if you don't make it your own, it turns into somebody else's. So definitely, I would say personalize it. I use very colorful pens with mine. I'm like, oh, today's I'm going to use orange. Tomorrow's I'm going to use like green or indigo. So definitely make it your own. The top, like it's so girly and like so, so very my personality with it. I don't know why I'm so excited about this, but it says, um, smile and wave, which in like this gorgeous, like lettering font. But the only thing that I can think of is the penguins of Madagascar. Yep. Smile so, and wave boys. Smile and wave. <laughs> it's so great. So I kind of want to get like a little decal of a penguin eventually, like just small and just slap it on there and just be like, this is mine. No one else is touching this. But yeah, definitely make any of like your diabetic stuff, definitely yours. Like personalize it. I saw a girl on TikTok. She bedazzled her CGM site and it was so great. It was so amazing. I loved it so much. I wish I could do this stuff with mine, but I I just can't with the way my stuff works. But 
I wish I could. So definitely make it your own. That's my hack. All right. Elimination diets. Elimination diets are a broad range of diets meant to uncover food allergies or sensitivities. There are a lot of common food allergens and inflammatories that people react to in foods. An elimination diet means that someone will cut out the potential allergens and inflammatories for a certain length of time to quote unquote detox the body from those foods and then slowly reintroduce them one food group at a time to take data on how those foods affect them, if at all. And now this is just a disclaimer. I want to be clear before continuing that I am not a medical professional. None of this is medical advice. I did this elimination diet on my own without consulting my doctor because I was and I am confident in my ability to keep my blood sugars under control, my awareness of how my body feels at any given time, and my willingness to continue correcting low blood sugars with a roll or even half a roll of Smarties. Some people will need to consult their doctors before doing an elimination diet, especially if you have already known food allergies like to peanuts or shellfish. I don't have any diagnosed food allergies, so I was not worried about an anaphylactic reaction that would need epinephrine to treat. And I don't even have epinephrine, so that would have been a problem if I had. Wouldn't you just not introduce something you're already allergic to? Like, you know you're allergic to peanuts. Wouldn't you just not reintroduce that back into your diet? Correct. Okay, cool. I just want to clarify on that. Right. If you already know you're allergic to something, there is zero point in trying to bring it back unless it's a really mild reaction and going off of it or off of things that might have it in it could lessen that. I know some people, especially kids, will grow out of allergies like that. But yeah, that's, that's after a lot of time not on it. And then they can just test it in small amounts later, but with doctor, uh, doctor supervision. Because you don't want to do tests of things that you have been previously allergic to without a supervisory person there. <laughs> just wanted to clarify and just be sure that that's what we were saying. Good question. So why do people go on elimination diets? Well, as you might imagine, it's to uncover food sensitivities. People may think that something in particular is affecting their mood, their hormones, their weight, and many other things, but they might not know exactly what is causing it. The elimination diet is a way to uncover which foods are responsible because our food is pretty much the root of a lot of our problems. Food sensitivities and inflammatory responses show up as a variety of different symptoms like bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation, nausea, insomnia or trouble sleeping lethargy or fatigue, excessive or unexpected acne, especially cystic acne. And cystic acne is the kind of acne that it's not a whitehead. It's like under the skin and it's really red and inflamed and kind of big. I get those occasionally. So cystic acne is like a mini cyst underneath your pores. I watched TikTok videos. (laughs) Colleen's laughing at me, but it's okay because it's funny actually. But no, if you ever watch Pimple, Dr. Pimple Popper, she, she's laughing at me. It's Come so on, satisfying. Like Dr. Pimple Popper. It's so satisfying. Um, she pops a lot of cysts on there, and it's something pretty cool to look up. It's also something that you might actually have just because it does get mistaken for fungal acne or just regular acne sometimes. But also popping acne, especially cystic acne, has a potential to leave scars. Yeah, don't do it without a doctor's recommendation. Just if you have it similar, stop and then go see a doctor, like a dermatologist. So besides cystic acne, you can also have rashes, joint pain, stomach pain and cramps, and then headaches and migraines. And those are just like, an, it's an incomplete list of symptoms, but those are the major ones. 
So there's a few different types of elimination diets. I did the traditional one, kind of. I'll talk about that more further on, but I'm just going to go through what the traditional one cuts out. And then there's a few other ones, and then we'll talk about what those cut out. So the traditional one cuts out the common inflammatories like citrus fruits, nightshade vegetables, which includes tomatoes, peppers, both bell peppers and spicy peppers, eggplant, white potatoes, cayenne pepper, and paprika. This means that you also cut out some seasoning mixes that include spices made from nightshades, like steak seasoning, uh, Johnny's uh, special seasoning. I'm not sure exactly what Johnny's is actually Okay, I can be right back. I have Johnny's. (laughs) Johnny's seasoning salt is the traditional one, and then they also have barbecue and other mixes as well. I bet the barbecue one is probably even worse because barbecue has a lot of sugar in it. From what what I hear, there's a lot of salt in it as well. So yeah, for me, salt's not a problem, but, uh, so there's Johnny's with whatever is in there. Cause I know paprika and cayenne are in a lot of those. And then there's also Lowry's seasoning salt, which is what I typically used when I was in college a lot. And we still have a bottle. I just don't use it very much. So the traditional elimination diet also cuts out nuts and seeds, all of them, including nut butters and nut flours, like almond flour, coconut flour, and hazelnut flour. Uh, legumes, which includes peanuts, peanut butter, beans, lentils, peas, and soy-based foods. It also cuts out high starch foods, including all flours, wheat, gluten, barley, corn, rye, oats, bread, basically anything that's high in starch, carbs, and flour. Uh, Processed meats, which is cold cuts, beef, pork, eggs, shellfish. Uh, The list from Healthline also includes chicken, but I use chicken as part of my base meal during my elimination diet, and that was a personal decision. It also cuts out dairy products, which is all dairy, including milk, cheese, yogurt, and ice cream. Uh, Fats like butter, margarine, hydrogenated oils, mayonnaise, and spreads. You cut out beverages, which includes alcohol, coffee, black tea, and uh, any kinds of soda and other caffeinated drinks. I also cut out sparkling ice just to be clean on this. You also cut out spices and condiments that includes sauces, relish, and mustard. Uh, Be very, very wary of store-bought salad dressings, as most of them use sugar as a main ingredient. And speaking of sugar, that's one of the most inflammatory foods of all. So cut out all sugar and sweets, including both white and brown sugar, honey, maple syrup, corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, agave nectar, desserts, chocolate of all kinds, including the low-carb versions, and artificial sweeteners. And then also cutting out powdered anything. And this includes protein powder because protein powder has a lot of stuff in it. It's concentrated so much that it can affect some people more than others. So just take it out. The other elimination diet types are uh, low FODMAP diets, which uh, removes FODMAPs. And those are short chain carbohydrates that some people can't digest. There's also the few foods elimination diet, which involves eating a combination of foods that you don't eat regularly. One example is the lamb and pears diet, which apparently is popular in the U.S., where lamb and pears are not commonly eaten. Eated. Did I just say eaten? I said eaten. We're going to leave that in. There's also the rare foods elimination diet, which is similar to the few foods diet, but you can only eat foods that you rarely ever eat as they're less likely to trigger your symptoms. And common foods on the rare food diet include yams, buckwheat, and starfruit. The fasting elimination diet involves strictly drinking water for up to five days and then reintroducing food groups. This honestly sounds terrible, but this type of diet should only be done with permission from your doctor, 
because it can be dangerous to your health because fasting for five days, if you don't do it right, is deadly. This can also just letting you know this last one can border on eating disorders as well. I have had friends who have tried this in middle school, have not seen anyone pass out, but I do remember them being very dizzy, very much out of it. We really did everything we could for them. It was really middle school. Yeah, it was really stupid. So this is how much this one diet affects a lot of different age groups. So I personally, as a personal decision, I do not recommend doing this last one just because it's so dangerous and can be very hurtful and harmful and encourage other bad behaviors for your body. Yeah, which is why it's doctor supervision only. I would not do a five-day fast. Just But there are a couple other elimination diets like lactose-free, sugar-free, gluten-free, and wheat-free. And those are probably just picking out those specific things and leaving everything else in. So having gone through that huge list of things you can't eat, most people are shocked and wonder what you can eat. It turns out that there's plenty that you can eat. And it's actually not that hard to get creative. Your meals will kind of be boring and repetitive for the length of the diet, but that's part of the point. You can eat most fruits except citrus fruits. Most vegetables, except the nightshades. Technically, you can have rice and buckwheat from the grains group, but they're still really starchy. And if you're worried about your blood sugar response from those, just leave them out. I know for me, rice will spike my blood sugar like no other. For meat and fish, you can have turkey, lamb, wild game, and cold water fish like salmon. Again, I chose chicken as my primary meat for this whole diet, which means I didn't have anything except chicken as my meat, which was interesting. You can also have dairy substitutes like coconut milk and unsweetened rice milk. You can't have almond milk or cashew milk because they're made from nuts and nuts are a no-go on elimination diets. I also cut out uh, coconut milk because it kind of falls in with the nuts, but I just didn't have room for it in what I was eating anyway, and it didn't really make a difference. You can also have fat sources like cold-pressed extra virgin olive oil, avocado oil, and coconut oil. Coconut itself is a good fat source. So if you've got coconut flakes on hand, those are okay. But as again, I just kept coconut out for the whole thing. And then you can drink water and herbal tea and uh, limit your spices and your condiments to salts, black pepper, fresh herbs and spices, and then apple cider vinegar. And it's also important on these things to make sure you're having enough electrolytes. I used electrolyte drops from Keto Chow and we'll link those in the show notes. But those are, it's basically a little cap of electrolytes that you I put on my salad and it helps with keeping all of your electrolytes in balance because you don't want to end up in keto flu with that. So the benefits of elimination diets, the primary benefit, like I mentioned before, is uncovering the foods you're sensitive to. And the sensitivities can show up in weight gain, plateauing on weight loss, and the other symptoms that I described earlier. So there are some pitfalls of elimination diets, at least according to some people. You're limited to just a few foods for at least three weeks before you can reintroduce anything. If you break that restriction at all, you basically have to start over to make sure that your body has detoxed from the things that you brought back in. So in this respect, it takes dedication and commitment to follow through on an elimination diet. You need to have a compelling reason to do it and be committed enough that going off plan is just not an option. When you take out caffeine and coffee, you will go through caffeine withdrawal. My withdrawal period lasted two and a half days, but it can be as long as nine days for some people. And for most, the first 100 hours are the worst. Painkillers will not dampen the headache, or at least they didn't for me, but I was prepared for it and it still sucked. 
Another pitfall is that other people will judge you. This is just reality. People are super attached to food and for many, their lives and entertainment revolves around food. If you're eating differently from them, they will have opinions about it and they will share those opinions with you. That doesn't mean anything about you. Many people find it difficult to deal with other people judging them or having unfavorable opinions of them. And if you have a compelling enough reason to go through with this diet, then those opinions won't matter. If nothing else, you can just say your doctor told you to do it and that'll be that. Going on an elimination diet also requires pre-planning. Some people find this difficult, but learning that skill will serve you in more ways than just with your food. Your blood sugars may change a lot. Be prepared to adjust your insulin doses or talk to your doctor about safety measures. Get glucagon and keep low snacks on hand. Wear your CGM. Make sure you're recording all the data. Paying attention to how much insulin you use is also a good idea. That's something I tracked every day. So why did I decide to go on an elimination diet of all things? Well, I'd been stalling at about 175 pounds for basically a year and a half, and I was getting really tired of it. It wasn't moving at all, and I didn't know what I was doing wrong or what I had to change. And so I was talking to some of my coaches about it, and one of them suggested an elimination diet. And so I thought it through and decided to go for it. Another reason that I went on this is that my hands and feet are pretty much always cold. And I'm not sure if it's a thyroid problem, if it's a circulation problem, or if it's a food problem. I also felt a lack of concentration ability. So I was finding it harder to concentrate on things. And I also had reduced willpower in the afternoon. Uh, I noticed that I was snacking a lot, even when I wasn't hungry. It was more like I need to go to the kitchen and find something to do. I also had a significant amount of dry skin on my face. And that one might have something to do with how hot it gets or how dry it gets and not necessarily what I'm eating, but I put that on my symptoms list anyway. So the things that I cut out included dairy, which is heavy whipping cream, cheese, and butter. I took out nuts, seeds, nut flours, including peanuts and peanut butter, coconut and coconut milk. I took out eggs. I also took out keto chow. I didn't have any alcohol. I didn't have any nightshades, which was the tomatoes and the peppers. I didn't have any caffeine, at least for the first 23 days. I cut out processed meats, including bacon, cold cuts, sausage, and then basically anything that comes in a package. I took out artificial sweeteners, uh, particularly erythritol, which is one of the best low-carb sweeteners, at least for terms of glycemic impact, but it, it's, also, it's still an artificial sweetener. It's still a sugar alcohol, so it can affect some people. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I cut out sparkling ice. And then I also cut out all fruit except avocado and strawberry and more on the strawberry later. And basically all vegetables except spinach. And I'm not entirely sure where olives fit, but if olive is a vegetable, I still had that. So I cut all of this out because this is what made sense for my diet, for what I eat on, a, on the regular basis and what made sense to actually cut out. And this... It followed the traditional elimination diet enough that I was happy with it. I cut this all out for 23 days, and that was from July 13th to August 4th. And what I ate during that period was basically a spinach salad with chicken pan fried in uh, olive oil with salt and pepper. I also had avocado, olives sometimes, uh, dressing made from olive oil and balsamic vinegar. And that was in a two to one ratio. So I had twice as much olive oil for balsamic vinegar. And I have a little 
salad dressing bottle that I just used to squirt onto my salad. I also used liberal amounts of salt in the salad itself. And then the electrolyte drops from keto chow. I ate one meal a day. That was basically how you eat a salad that big. I generally started eating between 8.30 in the morning and 10 o'clock, but sometimes I started earlier or I finished later. Uh, Like this morning, I actually had my salad around 6.30 in the morning, but that was because I thought I was going to be doing something that I actually wasn't going to do, but didn't matter. I actually frequently reach 23 or 24 hour fasts, which is surprising because I'm not hungry really for most of them. And then I also had herbal tea, water, and Smarties for lows. And then when I got to the end of the elimination phase, that meant I go into the reintroduction phase. And for that, I had the same base salad, but I took out the strawberry. I sometimes took out the olives. And then I also just included some of the food groups back in by themselves for two days at a time within a grace day afterwards. And for that, I cut the salad basically in half and then made up the rest with whatever I was adding in, except for the things that are a little like by themselves. So erythritol, which I'll be testing tomorrow and the next day is basically just Lily's chocolate chips. And that's not significant enough that I need to cut my salad in half. And for all of this, I don't really care about calorie counts, just saying. So for the Elimination phase itself, the first 23 days, my weight stayed relatively stable between 169.8 on July 13th and then 167.6 on August 5th. So it didn't change very much. It was probably like regular water weight fluctuations. I wondered if strawberry was stalling me. So I stopped including it on August 5th. And then immediately my weight dropped like a stone to 164.4 within a week while I was starting the reintroduction phase. So I was still having the salad without strawberry plus the foods that I was bringing back in and I still dropped my weight. So the strawberry was definitely a key thing that was stalling me there. Another thing that I noticed was that I feel a little bit more focused and I'm less tired in the afternoon, which is a bonus. So the foods that I'm sensitive to, strawberry, unfortunately. I mean, I like strawberry, but if I have one, my number will go up even though it's low on the glycemic index and it seems to hold on to water weight. Bacon just doesn't taste the same anymore. That one was a shocker. Jimmy Dean sausage makes me feel nauseous. So I'm kind of thinking that most of the processed meats are not great for me. I haven't tried uh, cold cuts yet, but we'll see. Nuts and nut flowers may trigger acne for me. I'm not entirely sure on that one, so that uh, will involve more testing. And as I mentioned before, as of this recording, I have yet to try erythritol again but I suspect I'll still be sensitive to it. And we'll see about that. I was previously sensitive to erythritol because I'm not sure why it happened, but I think it was Christmas. I had little low-carb Russian tea cakes made with erythritol. And then after we got home, like around midnight, I just, I threw it up and then I immediately felt better. I immediately felt better after that. And then ever since then, erythritol in sweets or low-carb foods has not really agreed with me. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. My blood sugars were really stable. They were flat pretty much between 90 and 120 for most days. When I wake up, I'm between 85 and 100 most mornings. And I give a bolus pre-correction for phantom carbs because I have increased sensitivity to dawn phenomenon. So if I don't do that before I get in the shower, then my blood sugar will go up way too much. My total daily dose of insulin is around 19 units. And like I said, during the intro part, my A1C is 5%. (laughs) 
So here's two things that I've learned so far is doing a podcast on type 1 diabetes and going on an elimination diet will bring my A1C down to around 5 or 5.1. So my plans for the rest of this is to finish reintroducing both erythritol and the sparkling ice, which is this coming week. And then I'm going to start combinations, which means uh, putting two or more food groups together. And that will also involve reducing how much salad I have, sometimes not having salad at all, and just having different meals based on the, the different food groups that I'm bringing back in, but keeping the processed meats out and keeping the fruits out. Uh, I'm going to keep the foods at work and then just eliminate the rest. So if things don't work together, then I'll eliminate that particular combination, but maybe not the, the pieces that make up the whole. I'm also going to try staying on a two weeks at a time identical food plan to see how changing up what I'm eating does to me. So that'll look like having the exact same thing for two weeks straight and then seeing how that plays out. I've been on salads for like two and a half months right now. So my body might be like, why are we still having salad? And changing it up could actually help. I'm also going to continue planning all of my food 24 hours in advance. This is a mind management tool to plan my food 24 hours in advance and then eat only in exactly that. And whenever I go off of that plan, I make sure I write whatever I wrote. I make sure whatever I ate, I write that down so I have a record of it and I understand why I did it. I'm going to keep doing this because it's, it takes so much stress out of the planning process. I don't wake up in the morning and wonder what I'm going to eat. I already know because I planned it yesterday. It just takes the drama out of, out of all of my food. And speaking of no drama, there was some drama that like some people would consider drama for this like cutting out coffee. People are addicted to coffee. I will readily admit I am still addicted to coffee. After I brought it back for the reintroduction, I decided to keep it in for the rest of the reintroduction because I didn't like the fatigue and the tiredness that I was, that I was having. I wasn't having any headaches anymore after the first two days, but I was tired a lot more than I was before. And I wasn't as focused in the afternoons or in the mornings or like at all. So when I brought it back, I just kept it back. I drink black coffee, so it's not a problem. When you reintroduced it, did you notice any like mood behaviors or like emotional changes that happened between when you were on coffee and when you were not on coffee? Oh, for coffee in particular, I was irritable. I was pretty irritable because no coffee means I was for the headaches. And then it was, I was tired all morning and I was frustrated that I was tired all morning. And then mm -hmm. I didn't have enough concentration in the afternoons and I was getting scatterbrained and I was getting frustrated with that. So it was layering all of the judgmental thoughts and the, the moods on top of that. Yeah. Okay. Do you think that was because you were out of your routine? So you, how long have you been drinking coffee for? <laughs> Since I was 12. Right. So you've been drinking it for 10 plus years. Do you think 15, 15 plus years? Oh, geez. Not okay. necessarily daily, but yeah, regularly enough that it made, I made a difference that I completely cut it out cold Turkey. Cause I did it cold Turkey. Right. Okay. So do you think that cutting out your coffee, the reason, part of the reason why you were so irritable, I guess you could say it was that you missed part of your routine. I mean, it's a valid question. I'm not really sure if it made it they made that much of a difference because my coffee, well, my coffee pot's an auto brew at four in the morning. So it's not like I have this whole routine of 
of setting out the coffee pot and putting the coffee grounds in the filter and then putting it in and then pressing the button and then just waiting for it to brew. It's already ready for me when I wake up. So I think that part of the routine wasn't really impacted. Mm -hmm. It was more uh, during the whole elimination phase, instead of coffee, I had tea. So instead of waking up and then pulling the coffee pot out, I would turn the water kettle on or or we have an electric kettle. So I just turned that on and then wait for that to heat up while I fed the cat and did all that instead of the coffee. Okay. So you didn't have some base of routine though with that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. My routine itself didn't really change that much, at least the mechanics of it. It just changed what I was having, having to drink. Okay. Interesting. So that's just, I've been wanting to know that for a while. So thank you. You're welcome. Another thing that seemed more dramatic to other people than it did to me was the fact that bacon and sausage don't agree with me. For the longest time, probably my entire time at my company, I have been the bacon person. Like I make bacon in the microwave in the office and then people like smell the bacon and they're like, why don't you share? I'm like, no, I'm not going to share. It's my bacon. So I'm like the bacon person. And I have said in the past that I can eat an entire pound of bacon for breakfast. And in the past I could, but going through this whole process, finding out how bacon actually tastes after my taste buds kind of reset, it doesn't taste that great to me anymore. And I had a lot of people on Facebook give me tips on finding unprocessed bacon. So like straight from the butcher or different kinds of unprocessed bacon from Costco, and maybe we'll try those. But I mean, if they don't work, then they don't work. And it's not a problem to me kind of similar with sausage. There might be different types of sausage I can have, but specifically the the maple Jimmy Dean sausage, which was my favorite for years. It makes me nauseous now. And I honestly don't really have any drama about it. <laughs> and I, I already talked about the uh, previous experience with erythritol, which would explain why there's no not really any drama with that. There was a, a moment when I took a, drink, a sip of my Starbucks drink, which was an Americana with heavy cream and then sugar-free mocha and sugar-free cinnamon dolce was the two sugar-free sweeteners I had. And there was a moment where I was having that drink and I took a sip and I was like, this just doesn't taste good anymore. And it was zero drama because it doesn't taste good anymore. Why try to keep drinking it? And that was the last time I had those sweeteners in my coffee from Starbucks. So that was kind of the moment where I figured out erythritol was not really for me, at least right now. We'll see what happens tomorrow. So that was another thing. There is no drama is when you realize something isn't working, there is literally no point in trying to make it work when you already know it's not working. I also have a willingness to feel my feelings mostly. I'm still working on that one. It's kind of hard, but it takes practice and I'm practicing. And that also includes hunger outside of my eating window. So right now I'm actually a little bit hungry, but I'm not going to go eat something because I'm letting my body dine in. It's eating the fat off my body, which is how I want things to work. The final result from all of this, at least so far, is that I've actually dropped into the 150 pound range, at least for a day. On Wednesday, I was 159.4 and then went back up to a little bit over 160. I'm expecting to keep losing as I keep experimenting and honing my protocol. And we'll, we'll see where this goes because so far it's been a really good success and I kind of can't wait to see what the rest of it holds. All right. It's question time. (laughs) Okay. So I do have a couple of questions for you on this elimination diet. What made you want to go on this specific one? I think, well, I mentioned that earlier where it was the most 
it was the closest to the traditional one and it cut out all of the things that could possibly be triggering me. And I, did, I didn't want to do something specific like the low FODMAP because that's for a very specific group of people who have maybe been told by their doctor that they should try it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just cut out as much as I possibly could because the more you cut out at the beginning, the better chance you have of finding something that you're sensitive to. Okay. And then, so you said cut out all powdered drinks now, or like powdery mixtures of drinks. So would you cut, so do you know what those Mio's are? Like they're little concentrated bottles, but I was going to ask, should you cut those out? If you're talking about powdered drink, like additives, like uh, maybe Crystal Light. Yeah. Yes. Cut it out. It's powdered. It will probably trigger some people. You won't know for sure until you cut it out to find out if it triggers you. Okay, cool. Did you cut out avocados? No. Okay, cool. (laughs) Avocado was one of my main fat sources for my salads. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because you mentioned avocado oils being in the elimination diet. I just wanted more clarification on like the actual avocado you could have. Um, No, I think I had avocado was in what you can have. Yeah. It's one okay. of, yeah. Avocado oil is one of the things you can eat on an elimination diet. Right. I just want clarification that you could eat off, like the whole avocado. Like, oh, yeah. You yeah. could put, like, open it up and put salt on it and eat it. Yeah. Kind of I have basically an entire avocado on my full salads. And then mm-hmm. on the half salads, when I do, when I add something back in, I have half an avocado. Okay. Cool. So basically, from what I understood, you cut out most dehydrated foods. Yes. Yes. Okay. So for clarification, a dehydrated food would be something like beef jerky or like dried fruit. Is there anything else on the list for you? Dried berries. Yeah. It's dried fruit. Yeah. They don't really dry a lot of things. Oh, seaweed. Oh, I don't, I don't eat seaweed anyway. So (laughs) I mean, you can take it out and see if it affects you by bringing it back in. Mm -hmm. But for most dehydrated foods, especially dehydrated fruits, it's probably not a good idea to have those anyway, because you tend to eat a lot more. Yeah, that's true. So you just cut out all dehydrated foods. That was interesting to me because we sell dehydrators or for fruits. We're probably going to be getting a dehydrator eventually for things. (laughs) I can get you a really good deal. Um, Maybe Excaliburs? I think we can special order them. Anyways, (laughs) so how long... Did it take you to, so you said you started reintroducing things at 23 days. What did that feel like to know that your body was like completely detoxed? It felt pretty clean. Yeah. Like you felt like your insides were clean. Yeah. Kind of like that. Honestly, I didn't pay attention that much. It's kind of like, it's actually kind of like weight loss. You don't really notice until you get to a certain point and then it's like, oh, I look skinnier than me. Yeah. So it was kind of like that. Okay. So I'm assuming you've done a lot of research on this and like really done the diligence and everything. What was the... I did yeah, a lot of Google food. That. What was the shortest elimination phase that you saw that somebody was completely de- detoxed and like ready to start reintroducing? Probably 21 days is... So it's it's basically three weeks is the minimum that you can do. And I just did 23 days, which is two mm-hmm. days past... But I'm not really sure why I picked that. It might have just been the website I was on that looked okay. the best for me. So how did you know what foods to introduce? Did you have like a calendar set up? Like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then like you said, you went past 23 days. Or was that like, 
how much of this was planned out? <laughs> All of it. Okay. So I've, I've mentioned in, I think, previous episodes that I run my entire life out of my calendar and this was no different. I had the elimination phase on mm-hmm. the calendar and then I had the reintroduction phase on the calendar. And then I also had on the calendar, the days that I was having each mm-hmm. new food group, I can pull up my calendar and just kind of read it off. So like you knew you were going to be detoxing for about 23 days or no. Okay. Yes, I did. Yeah. So after I finished the elimination phase, the first thing I brought back was coffee just to see how it felt. And then I was like, okay, I need to keep this. But I also tried coffee with heavy mm-hmm. cream just to specifically see that one. And something else I noticed, which I just remembered and should probably mention, is that it seems like my weight loss is better when I have heavy cream in my coffee in the morning, which is interesting. Because for some people, having fat in your coffee breaks the fast from intermittent fasting. But for some people, it doesn't. And maybe it doesn't for me, but that's something I kind of noticed and I'll continue playing with to see if keeping heavy cream in there continues my weight loss. You might want so after the coffee, I brought back dairy. So I had cheese. My husband made an Alfredo sauce that was all dairy and it was low carb. So I had that on chicken. And then after that was eggs and that was just plain basted eggs with salt and pepper on them. So that was how I had my eggs by themselves. And then, then the next one after that was the bacon and the sausage. And I ended up only doing one day for that because I could tell instantly that neither of them were going to work. And so I had, I think, two days of basically not having anything else in between that and then the next one, which is nuts. And then after the nuts was uh, the nightshades, which was bell pepper and tomatoes. And I just had that in my salad. And then after that, I did, it was kind of a tricky way to do this, but it was to bring back the nut flowers. So it was coconut flour and almond flour. The way to bring that back, because I can't have those by themselves, it would kind of be weird to just have a you know spoonful of almond flour. Because I had already tested the dairy, my husband made uh, low-carb tortillas for me, and that was the nut flours and dairy. And so I tried those, and they didn't really seem to affect me very much, although it might have triggered a little bit of acne, but that's not enough of a problem for me to care. Mm-hmm. I also uh, reintroduced something. It's, <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's called ground lupin. So lupin bean is a really high-protein bean. I'm not sure if it's a legume or what, but it's a very high-protein mm-hmm. bean. And they make flour out of it. I haven't tried the flour yet, but I'm going to. But I have, it's called ground lupin. It's from Costco. And I tried that and it turns out in high amounts, it kind of acts like garbanzo bean and garbanzo bean on me does not really have great side effects. So high amounts of ground lupin are not going to stay in my diet. And the last thing I kind of reintroduced up to this point was keto chow. And I did that with both butter and heavy cream. And uh, I did two flavors and that was raspberry cheesecake and chocolate peanut butter. I think the heavy cream works better for me. And if I bolus properly, the chocolate peanut butter works better for me. Mm. So that's kind of the summary of, of the reintroduction so far. Cool. What did it feel like when you have the sausage and the bacon and you just knew, like you, you just couldn't? The first bite of bacon tasted wrong. Okay. So there's, there's really no other way to describe it. it. It just tasted wrong. It tasted chemical. It tasted... It just tasted wrong on my tongue. I ate all the bacon just because I had it on my plan. And then I, the sausage, I think like after the first swallow of sausage, I could tell my stomach, I was starting to feel nauseous mm-hmm. and I finished the sausage. It was only three ounces, but the rest of the day, it was nausea. Who cares? <laughs> I think that's all I had. You have good questions. 
Thank you. What was the hardest thing to cut out for you besides coffee? Because that that seems to be number one. But so besides coffee, what was the hardest thing to cut out? Keto chow. I kind of figured as much. Yeah. Keto chow with the heavy cream has been kind of a staple in my my food for over a year, maybe over two years. Mm-hmm. So cutting out the keto chow, I was really worried about trying to find a proper protein replacement. And I did a lot of playing around with different uh, macro profiles of foods I could have, how much protein I would need to eat, like how much chicken, how much, how much avocado. And as I played with that, I was able to figure out that, yeah, I can have one meal a day, I can have a salad, and I can basically have the same amount of protein that I otherwise would with a keto chow shake. Cool. Okay. What was the last thing you reintroduced? And that'll be my last question. Well, the last thing right as of right now has been a chocolate peanut butter keto chow with butter. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow I'm starting the erythritol from Lily's chocolate chips. And then a couple of days after that, it'll be the sparkling ice and then I'll be done. Very cool. Okay. That's it. That's all I have. All right. The spotlight this week is on Dr. Ken Berry, a family physician in Tennessee who has a YouTube channel talking about keto, low carb, and how both are beneficial to people with diabetes. He talks about a lot of other topics in the health healthcare industry too, because he's a doctor, but I like all the ones that are related to type 1 diabetes. Dr. Berry eats the carnivore diet, which basically is meat only. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if I could do carnivore. It seems a little bit too restrictive. I like, uh, I like my cheese a little bit too much. Anyway, uh, Ken recently interviewed a type 1 diabetic who eats carnivore and also only uses nine units a day. We'll link to Ken's YouTube channel in the show notes, as well as the interview he did with with this person. Uh, Ken also wrote a book titled Lies My Doctor Told Me. It's a really good book. It's kind of funny too, but it is a really good book for anyone wanting an alternate opinion of healthcare since much of modern medicine has failed us, especially in the weight loss and diabetes management corners. Jesse, what is our question for the audience? All right. Our lovely question for you, our lovely audience this week is, have you ever tried an elimination diet with or without doctor supervision? What have you found that your body doesn't like doing? And then what have you found out about your body from doing this? Did you find that your blood sugars were better with certain foods or worse with certain foods? Let us know in the comments or send us questions. That is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 59. That's the number 59. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. As of this recording, I'm about a week away from having lived with type 1 diabetes for 25 years. That seems insane. It kind of is. I had an amazing support network while growing up and I learned how to manage it all on my own. But many people with type 1 diabetes don't have that kind of support. As a life coach, I have a unique perspective on handling all of life's difficulties with the added layer of type 1 diabetes. Interested in finding out how a life coach can help you manage emotions of dealing with type 1 diabetes? Schedule a free 60-minute consultation at inspiredforward.com coaching. Even if we don't work together, you'll come away with a clear understanding of how your brain is responsible for all the drama in your head and what you can do about it. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward and our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. 
please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or the show or tag me in your posts about type 1 diabetes. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts since that really helps other people find us. And if you leave us a review like with words and stuff like that, we'll actually shout you out on the podcast. We'll read your review. Be sure to listen next week when we talk about educating your parents about type 1 diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.